Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fuck and a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad balance, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. This is Let's Go Blues Radio. Thanks to Haley Wickenheiser uh, for that open. Never really get a chance to thank her, but um, always awesome having such a superstar open the show for us on these special edition shows. Uh, and then also uh, make sure uh, you check out Julio Cesar. He's in Brazil. He's the guy who recorded this great open for us, the sound uh, that you're hearing right now. Uh, check out his YouTube channel. Link is on uh, the show page if you go over to YouTube and watch the uh, the video that accompanies this uh you can check out a link to his page at the bottom of the description uh also you can find it um on the the page itself over at let's go blues radio dot com let's go blues dot com slash radio whatever one you want to go to they both work uh just go to uh, this episode and check it out if you want to see more or hear more from julio cesar so this is jeff ponder and this is season nine episode three franchise episode all time number 269 uh before we get to my guests on this past to the future episode i did want to uh let you know that um because there's a lot of podcasts out there that they have every single show that you can hear uh you can download their first episode from 12 13 years ago unfortunately we're not that show um We've had to go through uh, some some minor aches and pains with some of our podcasting platforms in the past, so there are some episodes that have been lost, but uh, Kurt and I have backed up, I'd say, probably 95% of them, and now that uh, we're starting to utilize our Facebook a little more, I've actually been posting some greatest hits from the past. Uh, I think I think you can go on Apple or Google or Spotify or whatever and uh, back to like season six, uh, maybe, maybe even season five. Uh, but uh, I actually just uploaded uh, for the first time in a long time, episode one, season one. Uh, and that was back when we were St. Louis Blues Radio. So if you're interested to see how bad we were when we first started compared to now and how we're, you know, kind of good. Uh, that's interesting. It's been interesting for me to check out. I know Kurt and Bill were, well, Bill wasn't even part of the show yet, but Kurt and Bill were, uh, excited to see that too. So yeah, go over to our Facebook page. There's a greatest hits section under our videos tab and, uh, episode one all time of our show is actually on there. That's from September of 2011. And then of course there's a couple other big ones on there. I'm going to continue uploading older episodes that, uh, can no longer be found because of our podcasting platform issues in the past. Uh, I'll keep uploading there on Facebook if you're at all interested in hearing what our show used to sound like back in the day. 
Well, uh, let's get to the guests of this episode. We got a couple Gregs for you. First, it's a it's an interview that I have been pushing. Oh, geez, two months now. Uh, Greg Millen, former Blues goalie and current Maple Leafs broadcaster. Uh, we actually recorded this back in July, so this was uh, shortly before the bubble tournament began. So you're going to hear us talk about uh, that coming up for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, one of my favorite interviews I've had. Uh, Greg is is obviously he's he's a personality on the TV, so he knows how to talk to people. He knows how to have conversations, and not that uh, the other guests haven't. But Greg is just uh, kind of in a league of his own, kind of like the Joe Micheletti type that uh, they just they have a knack for telling stories and making you live through their words and, and uh, you know, kind of seeing what life was like in that Blues locker room back in those days. So Greg is an excellent guest, and I'm, I'm very excited to finally get this episode out. Uh, and then after Greg, make sure you stay tuned for the other Greg. Greg Boyson is actually my last discussion that I have recorded about a Blues prospect with Greg Boyson. Um, he's the AHL writer for the Chicago Wolves and the Rockford Ice Hogs in the AHL. Um, he uh, he talked to me about Jake Wallman and uh, what Jake Wallman looks like uh, going forward, if we can expect him in a Blues jersey anytime soon. Obviously, he's kind of fallen down on the Blues depth chart in terms of prospects, but uh, still a guy that uh, I think we could easily see uh coming up here and, and you know may at least being like a chris butler type but we'll we'll you know come between the hl and the nhl but we'll get to that uh first we're going to get to greg millen the former blues goalie and current maple leafs broadcaster here is my conversation with greg millen and this is let's go blues radio past to the future today uh we're working on our past segment here and i'm joined by a former blues goaltender uh he is now an announcer on hockey night in canada he's a color commentator for maple leafs broadcast on sportsnet ontario but i think we all remember him best as uh the goaltender for the st louis blues during the 1986 playoffs which we'll get to greg millen joins the show greg thank you very much for joining today oh my pleasure i always love connecting with my old home in st louis so it's always uh, a lot of fun how often do you make it back here? Uh, not enough. Uh, probably just when I do the broadcast these days. Uh, still have some great friends in St. Louis. It was by far my favorite stop in my career. Seems like uh, a second home for all of us. So we had a daughter born there. But uh, unfortunately, with all the other responsibilities in life, we don't get back nearly as much as I would like. No, you have a very busy schedule with Maple Leafs games and especially working Hockey Night in Canada. I'm sure most of your games are held in Canada there when you do that. So, uh, But it's always good to hear from Blues alumni. Again, we always have uh, the Blues alumni boxes filled almost every single night there's a game. Um, who do you talk to the most that, that still lives in the St. Louis area? Do you still talk to Bernie and all them? Well, Bernie's my old roommate for almost five, almost the entire time I was at St. Louis. So we always have a visit. Of course, Bernie's in the media business also, so it makes it quite convenient to catch up with him. Uh, I, it's funny enough, I ran into Brian Sutter about a year and a half ago at his farm. I was speaking out that way, so that was a wonderful catch-up. Dougie Gilmore I do see around the Toronto market once in a while, but uh, as for St. Louis, it's always Bernie. Oh, yeah. And Darren yeah, Pang. Bernie- Pang. Let's not forget Pang or two. Uh, we we, we consider him blues. We'll consider him blues yeah, alumni. Well, he's, not, he's adopted. Yeah, I, think, I, I think now that he's got uh, he's with the cup situation, I think we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's definitely been adopted into the Blues family. He uh, in the Winter Classic, uh, the the alumni game, he played for the Blackhawks, and it was so funny talking to people in the concourse that were like, 
wait, why is Darren Payne playing for the Blackhawks? Like, well, that's that's where he played in his career, and nobody knew that. They all just assumed he was just a Blues guy. So, uh, gotta love it. Darren Payne, definitely a member of the Blues family now. Yeah, uh, we had but, a great. Uh, we had, just to interrupt on that, we had a great playoff. The two of us, we played against each other, and Payne was at the other end, and uh, he had a real good series actually. And uh, but the good guys won. Sorry about that. That's man. right. That's right. Yeah. Man, Darren Pang had a great series and goal, huh? I'm sure he uh, he doesn't talk about his good games that much. <laughs> oh, he'll tell you that one if you ask him. Just give him some okay. time. We'll yeah. have to get him on for sure. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your career before you came to St. Louis, first of all. Uh, so you were selected 102nd overall in the 77 draft by the Pittsburgh Penguins. First played in 1978-79, 20 games as a rookie, or 28 games as a rookie. Um when you uh, when you came into the NHL, obviously you had already played a bunch of uh, important games in your career, but nothing more important than stepping onto the ice in the NHL for the first time. Uh, do you recall that day, and, and what was going through your mind when that happened? You're going to laugh. Uh, I barely recall it, uh, like a lot of players. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I was basically out of hockey when I came to the year before I was uh, released everywhere in the international hockey league and everywhere you could think of went back home at Christmas and enrolled in university was going to play Canadian university hockey. And at the time, if you did that, you were pretty much finished. Uh, I got a call from the Grisou Greyhounds, a guy by the name of Wayne Gretzky called me up, not Wayne, but uh, Angelo Bombacco, but Wayne Gretzky was on the team as a rookie. And so I thought, well, I might as well go up there. It sounds like a good time for a half a year, and then I'll go to school the next year. Well, thanks to Wayne and a pretty good hockey club, uh, I had a, a lot of success that year as a team, and then the next year I was in the NHL playing for Pittsburgh. So the long and the short of your answer is uh, I was out of hockey, ended up playing in Pittsburgh, got a great chance by Baz Bastine and at the time the late Johnny Wilson, and uh, ended up playing 28 games that year. I think – my first game, I got blown out, if I remember correctly. I'm not quite sure about this. Got pulled into the office uh, from Baz Bastine, and he was about to send me to the American Hockey League. I'm pretty sure of it. But he grabbed a swivel chair to illustrate that he had to hold on to the short side in goaltending, and he fell behind his chair. Uh, the swivel chair took off on him. And at that point, he just said, get out of here, kid. So I think if he would have fallen, they would have ended up the minors. But uh, the good news is he fell, and I stayed up with the big team and ended up playing uh, a fair bit that year. Wow, that's uh, that's some luck right there. you got to love hearing that. <laughs> it's pretty good. We all had a bit going in, yes, for sure. Wow. Uh, so you mentioned Baz Vestines. That was going to be my next question for you. In June 1981, something happened that you will never see happen again with, because of the way the, the social media age works. Uh, you were signed as a restricted free agent by the Hartford Whalers. Pittsburgh could have matched, but GM Baz Bastine was on vacation, and he was unaware that you had signed. Uh, the deadline to match passed, and you went to Hartford. Uh, tell, walk me through that. That had to be a very strange situation, even, uh, even before the digital age. That's, that's very odd. You don't hear that often. Well, the St. Louis connection is Larry Plo. Uh, Larry right. was the general manager in uh, in Hartford at the time, a brand new general manager, and they were looking to retool things. And I had a a fun series uh, uh, before that, of course, uh, with Pittsburgh uh, playing against the Boston Bruins at the time. And so, anyway, to make the long the long and the short of it is, uh, I was uh, Larry asked us. I believe it was just around the draft. They came up with an offer. And we told Hartford that 
that's fine, but we owe it to Pittsburgh to go back to them first because they gave me my start in my career. I didn't really want to leave Pittsburgh. And Larry was very kind about it. He said, you go ahead and do that. And if it doesn't work out, we'd love to have you. So we, we did send the offer back to Pittsburgh and said, I, and the, the story is that Baz didn't really believe us. He thought we were bluffing. And then he went golfing. Uh, we didn't hear from Pittsburgh. We didn't hear from Pittsburgh. And uh, I remember on a Sunday, I got a call in the morning from my uh, agent, who was basically a criminal lawyer at the time from the Sioux, who I met, Frank Caputo. And he said, uh, well, they want to sign us and we haven't heard a thing. And, and you know, Hartford's called back. I said, well, I guess we got to sign. Pittsburgh obviously doesn't want me. So that day we jumped on a plane, uh, went through New York City, ended up running on the tarmac, if you can believe this. Could you imagine that doing that in this day and age? To <laughs> no catch way. The next, to catch the next plane. Uh, ended up in a small prop job to get to Hartford from New York. Signed uh, that night on a Sunday night, had dinner at Larry and uh, Wendy Plow's house. And then the Monday morning, I got a call from the president of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the late Paul Martha, and he said, uh, I heard you just signed. And we said, what do you mean you heard? We told you. He said, well, we know you, nobody told me this. He said, what if we offer you a U.S. steal? I said, I'd love U.S. steel, but it's too late. We've already signed. And that was the end of the story. And uh, the president never found out from the manager. The manager never told anybody that we had an offer. Wow. That's that's an even crazier story than what I had read. That's nuts. Yeah, and, and, and Eddie Johnson was the manager who I still uh, see uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he was our coach then, not our manager, our coach. And he was devastated. I had a real special relationship with E.J. Johnson because he helped me being a former goalie. So that was a tough move for me and really didn't want to do it at the time, but uh, that's what happened. Obviously, you went on to play some, for some pretty good teams, again, in St. Louis as well, and uh, the 1986 team comes to mind. But uh, would you look at Pittsburgh and the way that they grew with Mario coming in and, and Yamir Yager later, um, is there any kind of regret on your end for not just, you know, saying, sorry, Hartford, I'm going to stick in Pittsburgh? Well, I didn't have a choice because they never got back to me. And there was, you know, there was a lot of money involved. Uh, the other side of the story is uh, the year going into my option year in Pittsburgh, I had Alan Eagleson. And uh, he recommended that I sign. Uh, I was making $40,000 at the time in the National Hockey League. And I played 60 games in my second year. So that was a bit of being, uh, to say the least, even then I'm being underpaid. Uh, Pittsburgh offered me $70,000 going into my final third year of the option. Uh, I, got, I went up to the Sioux on a trip and I ran into a guy by the name of Frank Caputo, who was a criminal lawyer who dabbled in, in sports agents. And he said to me, if you sign that, you're crazy. I wasn't feeling good about Alan Eagleson anyway. I had a sort of an interesting feel about him. It didn't feel right. So I fired him. Uh, that was quite a conversation. If you fire Alan Eagleson back in the day, you get, uh, you get it pretty hard. So as a young man, <laughs> that was the first lesson. I hired uh, Frank Caputo and played my option out playing another 60 games at 40,000 a year. So I was losing all that money because I was offered 70. So the long and the short of it is uh, played my option out and then Pittsburgh didn't want to give me much more of a raise. And then I got a signing bonus that was much more And my first year salary. I believe at the time was 160 for, for the Hartford Whalers. So it became a bit of a financial move also, but, uh, the answer to your story is I had no, ch the answer to your question, I had no choice, but in saying that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think all athletes would love to stay with their same organization their whole career, but as it turns out, uh, St. Louis was the one that I, uh, I absolutely loved. So it worked out in the end. 
So you uh, you were a goalie that played a lot. Uh, 1981-82 for the uh, the Whalers. You end up taking over the starting role from John Garrett when you uh, shortly after you signed. 55 games played in 81-82, 83-84. You led the NHL with 60 appearances uh, for the Whalers. Um, how taxing is is that for a goalie? Obviously, we really don't see that anymore. But um, you know, if we did, if we saw, you know, I know Brayden Holtby had quite the long run uh, just a couple of years ago. How taxing is that for a goaltender? Well, what's odd about it, I can never figure out how everybody grabs on to 60 games is too much in today's game. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, we hear a lot of it from the media up here, uh, to be quite honest with you, with Frederick Anderson and the Toronto market. Uh, we didn't have charter planes. Uh, we had back-to-back games. We'd leave the city at 7 in the morning and jump on a commercial flight, get in, have lunch, and play. I mean, I played hurt like all athletes do at times in net. But uh, to me, in this day and age, I don't think 60 games is too many for a goalie. I don't really understand it. Back then, probably was because there were days where I was tired in net and probably shouldn't have been in the goal, but that's what we did back in the day. Everybody, you know, was a starting goalie, played 60 games. But for me, uh, in this day and age, the way they travel, the, the way their fitness is, I mean, the game is better, it's quicker, I get all that. There's no question it's more taxing because of the media, social media, everything that goes on for an athlete today. But, I mean, if you're uh, any kind of goaltender at all, I still think you can play 60 games in this league. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I see this all the time, you know, back when the Blues had uh, Brian Elliott and Yaroslav Halak and, you know, one guy would play 45 games, they, people would say, oh, that's too much for him. Really? Because I feel like that <laughs> when you're a number one goalie, you want to play every single night. If you could be in there every night, you would be. I mean, look at a guy like Grant Fior. That's that's his mentality was, that's my goal. I want it. And uh, it's always interesting to me when I hear that too, because I'm thinking goalies, if it was up to them, they'd be in every night. They would never have a knife off. Yeah, everybody wants to play. Some of these goalies in today's game, well, they don't want to be. It's interesting. They think they get tired or they don't feel just right. I mean, they are finely tuned athletes today, but I do find it uh, interesting. I will say this, though. If if the two-goalie system can work in certain situations, I know it did in St. Louis for Rick Walmsley and myself. We We were great friends. Uh, so we had the ability to go back and forth and compete friendly with a friendly competition between each other. I've got some great, you got to get, uh, but, uh, Rick Wamsley was a, a funny guy and uh, we had a lot of fun together. The best one that people don't know is the late Baz Bastien. Everybody knows great. Everybody has a Baz Bastien story and we had more than a few back in the day, but we got wind that he ripped the telephone off the wall one night when Rick was in net after a bad goal, and I, he was replaced. And it was dangling over the press box at the old uh, uh, St. Louis Arena. We got wind of this. So every time, and I can tell you this, every time one of us got yanked from the game, we touch each other's pads and quietly say to each other, as mad as we could be, the guy getting out, AT&T award. So- <laughs> <laughs> Every time we got yanked, nobody knows That's that story, good. but uh, it was a lot of fun. And Rick was a, a great partner. Another time, uh, Rick had an injury and I pulled a groin in practice. The old sauna was right in the middle of our locker room and it had a little tiny hole about this big in it. Jacques Demers came storming in the room looking for his goaltenders for practice because we had both left the ice and we were in the sauna watching him look all over the room, giggling like crazy. 
as the team didn't have a goalie. So we had all kinds of great times and stories together. Uh, Rick would be a fun guy to get on. He's, he's got some dandies. Yeah, that sounds like, yeah. Rick, I've always heard uh, different stories from Rick Wamsley and uh, yeah, getting him on and hearing them from the man himself would be uh, quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about that. You come to St. Louis, February 21st, traded with, uh, Mark Johnson for, uh, Mike Liute and Jorgen Pedersen and, uh, Bernie Federko in his book, uh, he talks about how Mike Liute was basically like, basically moving him was a bad call. Mike Liute's one of the best goalies of all time. Uh, but then he said that, uh, you find out that, you know, Greg Millen's quite the goalie himself. So you come to this team with Federko, Mark Hunter, uh, Rob Ramage, Doug Gilmore, Joey Mullen, Brian Sutter. I mean, the names just go on, and you go into that 90, 1986 team. Um, what was it like stepping into the locker room for the St. Louis Blues and seeing all these guys that uh, that you know are, are really some of the better players in the NHL? Well, first of all, my old roomie's looking after me a bit. I mean, at the time, it was a bad trade. I mean, mm. uh, and it was a money trade. Simple as that. Uh, Ludy was uh, making a good buck. I wasn't making nearly as much. Uh, so it became a money trade. Mark Johnson had the great Olympics, of course. So he was, uh, you know, an asset as well at the time. But uh, I'll never forget this. And it, it really speaks uh, volumes to the kind of leader that Brian Sutter was uh, in his day and still is. Uh, I, I think it was Buffalo. In fact, I know it was Buffalo. It was traded in Buffalo. I, those days you carry your own hockey bag into the rink. Of course, the hockey bag, goalie bag was as big as I was. So I'm struggling with it to get through the door because you know that was the only time I probably would have carried it the entire season thanks to our great trainers and uh, Brian Sutter came down the hall he grabbed my hockey bag threw it over his shoulder said come on come into the room took me into the locker room and introduced me to every player and that kind of leadership I just hadn't seen before and other than the old Pittsburgh guys in Pittsburgh they were pretty uh, fantastic Ronnie Francis was our leader if you can believe it in Hartford but he was 18 years of age so uh, this was really special to me, and uh, it gives you an idea of, of, you know, how Brian was as a captain and how scared I was coming into a team knowing that I was just traded for a very popular player and playing against him, of course, in a series earlier, a real good goalie. So that was a tough one, and I always thank Brian to this day uh, for helping me start on the right foot in St. Louis. So, again, uh, talking about the 86 team, uh, go to the conference finals. Uh, you obviously lived through the Monday Night Miracle, which is still heralded as one of the greatest moments in St. Louis sports history. Um, what was it like for you witnessing, um, you know, the, the, the giant comeback and um, seeing um, Doug Wickenheiser score that big one there on St. Louis home ice? Yeah, it was interesting because both Rick and I con uh, both contributed that series. Uh, uh, Rick was Calgary's team, or Calgary was Rick's team, if you will. And I had Toronto and uh, in Minnesota, I think it was at that time. And, and it worked out well because Wommer always played very well against Calgary. In fact, that's why he ended up there and won a Stanley Cup there in the end. Uh, but I was on the bench, and I'll never forget it. But more than anything else, you, you always remember the crowd in St. Louis at the old St. Louis Arena. Uh, I mean, it was deafening at times. And, you know, yes, I got rained on one night because there was a hole in the rink or a hole in the roof rather, and it was hitting <laughs> my head. And yes, it was so hot. You could hardly function in many games. I mean, talk about the heat in a nice level. I can't even imagine what it was at the time, 
but it had a special atmosphere to it that's uh, that'll never be replaced, really. And not only in St. Louis. I mean, there was one in Chicago that was very similar in the Chicago Stadium. Boston had a building like it, but you could put the old St. Louis Arena right there with them both. And uh, so that really made it special that particular game because of the fans, and they were they were elated. They were just the place went nuts, and uh, it was quite a night. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'll tell you from going to games as a fan, you know, sitting in the the back rows, whenever everybody would stomp their feet, you could feel the arena moving. And I remember as a kid being like, oh, my God, this place is coming down. And my dad telling (laughs) me, yeah, that's just that's how this place is. You know, you get used to it. And uh, it was it was quite the arena for sure. And and, uh, what were the locker rooms like there? I've I've always wondered, uh, probably not the best in the league, right? No, they weren't much at all. Uh, we did have the sauna in the middle of the locker room. I'm not kidding. Just to the side there. Um, you know, really not much to it at all. Uh, a little tiny lounge. Really, that was just to get changed. And then we had Normie Mackey's training room, which was the melting pot, uh, which every, which always is in a, in, a, in a locker room. Everybody seems to still go to the training room. And Normie was uh, always there telling his stupid jokes. And we were all together. But again, very small. And then the coach's office was around the corner, and that's where uh, you know Jacques Martin hung out, and where Doug Gilmore used to steal his Diet Coke all the time and put it in my stall, and he'd come in and blame me. Uh, Jacques was a Diet Cokeaholic at the time, uh, so that was always fun. And then you had, of course, the the great Barkley Plager, who uh, I I wouldn't want to go through this interview without talking about. Uh, he was our father figure. He was our mentor. He was the person that taught us about life. He had the ability to give us heck, and then he'd walk away and you'd feel good about it. He was quite a special man. And, you know, in the end, we were carrying him through airports. He was so ill. And uh, to watch the character that he had and the, and the courage was absolutely remarkable. So I, I wouldn't want to, you know, at, at all talk to you about the St. Louis Blues without bringing his name up. Oh, Barkley is, uh, he's still very much, uh, an important figure in blues hockey long after he's passed. Uh, you know, he, all the time you hear stories about how much that guy loved and, and lived for blues hockey. Um, you know, very, very sick, very ill, still wanting to come to the rink, still wanting to be a part of the team. And, uh, again, that's something that, uh, Bernie Federico talked about on our show was, uh, just how Barkley, what it meant to him as a, a young man coming into the blues organization and, uh, you know, first being coached there in the Kansas City squad, and then uh, coming up and and Bark uh, moving back, moving up to St. Louis, and being a coach there as well. So, yeah, Sparkly Plager, that's a guy that um, you know we we said when the the Blues released their mascot that they should have uh, they should have named him Barkley because I think that would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's a very special man. You could add Brian Sutter to that list as well. I used to have a lot of fun because I would travel to the airport with Brian and Bernie. Uh, that was the threesome in the car. And I'd sit in the back because the two lived beside each other. So, you know, they'd always get the front. But that was okay because I'd sit in the back seat and they had a love-hate. You had the skilled guy that did everything easy and you had the, the gritty guy that had to do everything in the hard way. And the skilled guy didn't want to hear about the work ethic sometimes from the, from the other guy. And they'd go back and forth. And I, all I did is sit in the back seat and I'd stir the pot. <laughs> and uh, that provided some great infer- great fun all the way to the airports on the uh, rides that I still cherish to this day, thinking back and how much fun we had. So uh, who was the biggest prankster, in the, with the Blues at least, that, that you think you played with? It sounded like you had a couple, but uh, is there one that stands out? Oh, easy, Gilmore. Not even Gilmore. Close. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we yeah, had, I mean, he had a lot of them, but, uh, you know, holes in the bottom of the coffee cups was a Doug Gilmore. Uh, he, uh, he was, well, you know, if you let him in our room at night, we always have Chinese food, Bernie and I, for the guys coming in after maybe they had one or two extra refreshments. So we'd have them come in to make sure they had something to eat. And uh, it's amazing how in the morning I'd wake up and I couldn't find my toothbrush. And then I realized it was floating in the back of the toilet. And then I put one and one together and I knew who did it. That was Gilmore. Of course, it's always Gilmore. So that was just one easy one. There are a lot of the ones I can't tell, but that was one I can't tell. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, again, this uh, the 86 team was really good, but you stayed in St. Louis for a while longer. 88-89, uh, you had an NHL high six shutouts, 52 starts, 22-20-7 record. And, uh, you know, really a, just a great year for you. Do you look back at that year as your best year in net, or do you think it was better when you were splitting more time with Rick Wamsley? Well, I was on a roll for sure. Our team was also. I think that was the year I got traded, though. So uh, you it know, was. Yeah. So, you know, you have six shutouts and you love the city and then all of a sudden you're gone. It was a tough one, a real tough one, particularly when you're gone to Quebec City, where, you know, it was an area where the team wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, you had three young children at the time and didn't really want to move. So that that goes through for every athlete and we all go through it. I mean, there was a bit of controversy at the trade. I should clear this up for the folks in Quebec and uh Anybody else that kind of wonders what happened. I had a contract done in St. Louis. Uh, Jack Quinn had a deal done verbally, and then he turned around and traded me. So, uh, yeah, so that didn't go so well for me or my, you know, Frank Caputo, the same agent at the time. So the reason for the delay and the fuss that I put up was that, quite frankly, uh, you know, we wanted to have something in writing when we went to Quebec because we didn't think it was fair the way it was handled. Uh, And, you know, in the end, we would have – I would have stayed in Quebec if uh, I wanted my family to learn French. It would have been a great opportunity for the kids and so on. But they had such a horrible team, and I was at the stage in my career where I couldn't help them, and I wanted to try to win. So that's why it didn't last very well in Quebec City, although the perception was always I didn't want to go there, I didn't want to go to Quebec, I didn't want to be in French Canada. Really not, not, not true at all. But, uh, of course, a lot of those stories couldn't be told publicly at the time. Oh, of course not. No, that's uh, – yeah, and I – the man you are, I doubt that you were pitching a fit just about playing for a certain team. So I'm sure that it was all about the contracts and the way it was handled. I mean, uh, those are the kind of things you don't hear about until long after. Well, I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just, and you know, sometimes things happen in contracts too, where, you know, a trade comes up and, you know, I just thought that they should honor it. It wasn't so much the trade. It was the, the deal that was done. That's all. And it worked out. Yes, yeah, it worked out. Uh, Blues end up getting uh, Jeff Brown, and uh, you you move <laughs> on f- with uh, Tony Herkus. And again, I, I told you this off air that uh, I wanted to have you on after I talked to Jeff Brown because uh, my favorite part of the interview is when he talked about that trade, how he was uh, back in Quebec uh, taking shots from the point in uh, just a, a warm-up or a, a practice, and you had si- seen it and said, that's the kind of guy we need. Turned around, you get traded for Jeff Brown. Um, I mean, it's funny now. We can look back and laugh now, I'm sure. But I'm sure there was a lot of frustration and anger when that happened. Uh, not really. Not really. I mean, it's kind of, it was kind of funny at the time because don't forget, I mean, I drove with Brian Sutter for, you know, a couple of years. I mean, he was a very good friend. 
and now he's my coach. So I'm sitting beside a friend slash coach, just the two of us on the Quebec bench. It's maybe something you wouldn't say to every coach, but I could because of the situation. And I said, geez, Brian, we got to get that guy. I mean, we do, you know, our power play, wouldn't he be something? And he said, yeah, you're right. And uh, two weeks later, the deal was done in New York City, and I get called in by Brian. And uh, he says, uh, I got uh, news for you. You really like that Brown, huh? I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, we just traded for him. I said, that's great. Fantastic. And then said, he said, no, they traded. It was for you, though. <laughs> so to make matters worse, I mean, remember, there's no social media back in the day and everything else. And this didn't happen. There was some confidentiality involved. You know, you, at that point in life, you had a chance to tell your wife first before it got out in the media, unlike today. So I call my wife back in St. Louis and she answers the phone. Bonjour. Because Jack Quinn's daughter was in the media business, and uh, he broke the news before my wife found out about it. So that didn't make me very happy either at the time, based on the contract situation. But uh, that's that's how that went down. So she knew before I did, basically. And uh, sounds like she has a good sense of humor about it, though. Well, yeah, I don't know if there was some sarcasm involved in that or not. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that was uh, that was interesting. And uh, I mean, trades happen. Trades happen, and that's you sign up for that. But we just have. A funny story that you look back on now. And by the way, another great trade. I mean, the Blues made uh, one bad trade getting me and a really good trade getting rid of me with Brown because he turned out to be a heck of a hockey player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jeff Brown, uh, still to this day, one of the, the best Blues defensemen to ever wear the note. So um, speaking of uh, defensemen, though, I wanted to ask you of uh, all your time and in all the NHL, not just St. Louis, uh, who was probably the best defenseman you think you ever played behind? Oh, boy. I mean, I, I don't like to do that because it sort of eliminates other players. But, um, you know, I played, I can give you, I mean, Rammer was great in St. Louis for us, you know, stayed home guy, tough guy, worked hard, uh, competitive as comp- can be. So, I mean, he'd be, he'd be certainly there. I mean, in, in Chicago, Doug Wilson, now a Hall of Famer. Uh, fantastic. You go back to the Pittsburgh days and I had, some old school guys, but I also had a guy by the name of Randy Carlisle, you know, Norris Trophy winner. So I had my share of uh, pretty good defense in front of me, thank goodness, because I couldn't stop anything. So that was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't believe that for one second. <laughs> uh, so you played out the rest of your career, and you mentioned Quebec, and then move on to Chicago, the Rangers, Detroit. Uh, but uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and there's another St. Louis connection here. <laughs> <clears throat> your coach in uh, Chicago in the 1990 playoffs, Mike Keenan, who everyone loves here in St. Louis, uh, he played, uh, uh, and I'm being sarcastic, of course, uh, he played three separate goalies in the run to the semifinals that year. Uh, you led the team with 15 appearances, but you also played alongside Ed Belfour and Jacques Cloutier. Uh, in a playoff series, you mentioned you and Rick Wamsley were kind of uh, uh, changing things up in 1986, but three goalies in the 1990 playoffs, uh, that had to be odd because you, you not only did you not know if you were going to be starting that night, but you may not even be dressing that night. Or not even lasting five minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's, he, I don't know if Mike thought we were relief pitchers at the time. I think he did because <laughs> we were in and out so much. We didn't know what was going on. Um, I don't really want to comment on that era. To be honest with you, with that particular situation, it's uh, it may come out to be negative, and it probably will. So I prefer not to. Uh, it wasn't fun. Uh, I wish I could say that it was a good part time in my career, but uh, it certainly uh, there's a million stories I could tell. I don't think it's appropriate that I do. 
I guess the good news is, is that when I did leave Chicago, I got beat out by Belfort and Hoshik. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that's so true. Bad. That wasn't yep. so bad. I, I can give you a funny story, though. Uh, I remember this so well. We were in Milwaukee in an exhibition game, and I had heard all about this Hoshik guy. This is the next year, I believe, coming in. And uh, he played goal in Milwaukee. I was in the stands, not playing that night. We were moving on to another city to play another game. And I was sitting with my dear friend, Steve Larmer, who, by the way, some from the same town that I live in here in Peterborough, Ontario. We see a lot of each other. And Hoshik was in net. At one point, he came back to his crease, ended up halfway to the blue line without his blocker, without his catcher, and without a stick, and he was playing barehanded. And I said to Steve, that's not the way you play goal. I mean, there's no way this guy's going to beat me out. Look at this guy. You know what he said to me? Oh, yes, he will. He's got the quickest feet I've ever seen. <laughs> my best friend, and uh, or one of my best friends, and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Wow. Uh, he came on. It was unorthodox, but he knew how to stop pucks. But it was uh, it was pretty funny at the time. But yeah, but the Chicago years. I mean, the good news about the Chicago years, we enjoyed the city a lot. Uh, met a lot of great friends and Dennis Savard and Doug Wilson, and some great teammates. You had to be great teammates under the under the situation that was going on at times. And uh, so there were some positives there, but it was a tough, tough situation for me. I'm not going to lie at that time. Yeah, you're not the only one. We've uh, we've heard stories from other past Blackhawks that say the same thing. Uh, so again, looking back at your your full career, which spanned across multiple teams, um, who what was the who was the best goalie that you think you matched up against? Whether it was in just a regular season or even uh, oh, playoffs. Yeah, I know well, it's a tough one. I'm an old guy now. You know, it's hard to get back <laughs> to all these things. Um, <laughs> Well, I played in so many different errors, errors, you know, like I played against Jerry Cheevers. I played against, uh, you know, Tony O, Chicago. I mean, Ken Dryden I played against. Uh, and then you go farther on to Patrick Waugh as a kid. I'll never forget Patrick Waugh. It was right in St. Louis. And uh, he won an early game in his career. And we had to skate by each other, right? So we lost the game. Montreal always liked to beat us in our home rink. And, uh, of course, he's chirping me. And I'm looking at it, I'm going like, who the heck is this guy? Why is he chirping me? I mean, he just won a game. Big deal. You're a young kid. Shut up, rookie. Well, I guess I found out why he was chirping me. <laughs> he turned out to be a pretty good player. Yeah. Yeah. But, he, uh, he, was, he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. So, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I could, uh, I've been very fortunate uh, playing in three different decades. You know, you do certainly have a chance to play against some some great players. The greatest player I ever played against, with all due respect to Mariel, was was Wayne. Players, you know, Guido Fleur flying down the wing. It was uh, Montreal. Those Montreal teams were amazing at the time. So they had a lot of great players. But uh, it's like all all different teams. You go across the National Hockey League right now, and you can say there's you know a handful of goalies that are spectacular that that stick out. You could say the same about forwards and defense. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, so talking about your announcing career, what you moved on to after playing, you've worked with some pretty unbelievable announcers: Jim Houston, Chris Chris Cuthbert. Uh, Bob Cole, uh, and then, of course, you've also worked the 07 and 08 Stanley Cup Final, uh, amongst many other things I know that you've called in the past. Um, what's it What's it like working with really a Hall of Famer like Bob Cole and then even the other guys who do such a great job calling the game? I mean, is it do they make your job easy, or is it, man, I, I really got to step my game up to, to sound like I belong with these guys? 
Well, I'll circle back and tell you a quick story, first of all, because it's a Darren Pang story that, uh, you know, we started by practicing together in Saint, in Chicago. Uh, oddly enough, uh, John Shannon, who's one of the uh, all-time best TV executives that I know now in the media business, said to me in Calgary during that series, when you're done, you should think about broadcasting. So he put the sort of planted the seed. And then Darren Pang and I, I was not playing because of you-know-who. And Darren was uh, just out for the first time in uh, his career. And we both wanted to get into broadcasting. So we stood, when I wasn't playing because of you-know-who, I was up in the big, way up the end of the press box with Darren, and we would actually call games. He would call the game, and I'd be the color guy, and we'd go back and forth. Nice. Uh, Lisa Seltzer, a, a longtime director in Chicago, and went on to do network directing, ended up uh, making an audition tape for us. Perrin went one way, I went the other way, and we're both still calling games. So it's really odd. I ended. I started. You did in, some uh, right, I guess. <laughs> I started in Ottawa, uh, doing Ottawa Senator broadcast in their first year. So. Getting back to your question, I just wanted to add that with the St. Louis connection. Uh, you know, Bob Cole was a demanding guy, but an absolute honor to work for. Don Whitman, uh, a real gentleman out, out the West who was an icon in our country. Don Chevrier, who you, you would know for boxing in the U.S. with ESPN. Uh, I, he was my first play-by-play uh, -play guy. I did the Olympics with him, my first Olympics with him. Uh, you know, and of course, Jim Houston now, Hall of Famer. All these I can't say enough about Chris Cuthbert, my long-term partner for 10 years, who's now coming back with us, which is going to be fun in Sportsnet. But uh, all of those guys, I, I feel very honored to uh, to be able to work with. They're all fantastic broadcasters, and they all taught me a little something for sure. Bob Cole, probably the one that was the biggest teacher when he just kept saying, Greg, get out of the way of the game. Let the game breathe and let it call itself. And uh, he was one of the best. He was one of the, I got a better one, but I won't do it to him. But he was one of the best, uh, he gets mad, but he was one of the best uh, teachers, I think. And uh, always, you know, emphasize that less is more, uh, let the game breathe. And he's, he was more of the old school. I'll call a game. When it stops, you do the color. And uh, you know what? I still like that. Yeah. Um, so again, you've worked uh, multiple different, uh, just just great moments. I mean, one of the ones that come to mind lately, and Maple Leafs fans won't like talking about this, but the uh, the David Ayers incident uh, was one that this comes to mind. But again, you've called Stanley Cup Finals. Is there one thing that stands out to you um, as you know one of your favorite games to call? I think I think all the Olympic games, uh, the three Olympics, certainly are all uh, huge. The gold medal game in my early on in Lillehammer. Uh, when the Peter Forsberg and all that situation in Korea, that was quite something as a young broadcaster. And then, you know, the Stanley Cup finals were certainly uh, a real special. The outdoor game in Buffalo when it snowed, it hailed, it did everything. It was a, it was a special event. Uh, I've been so very fortunate, I think, to cover pretty much everything in our business and very, very lucky to do so at the national level. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm just so fortunate I teach leadership now as well. I uh, went out and got a, a master's degree in that. And I always try to tell my students, you know, if you can ever find something that you love and that's your passion, you're going to be a very lucky person in life. And uh, I can tell you, I've been very lucky. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so someone else that uh, kind of, I guess, followed his passion was uh, your son, Charlie, went on to play uh, goalie in the ECHL as far as the Orlando Solar Bears. I don't know if he's still playing, but uh, what was it like for you as a father watching your son kind of follow in your footsteps? 
I realized very quickly how uh, how tough it was on my own dad to watch a goalie. It's horrible. <laughs> any parents out there, don't be a goalie dad. It's just the worst <laughs> because every time a, goal, a crummy goal goes in, you feel for everybody on the team and you're going, oh, Charlie. I don't know how many times they said that. Oh, Charlie. But in saying that, uh, you know, he followed his passion. I really didn't really want him to be a goalie, to be quite honest with you, but he ended up being a goalie. Um really uh, loved it. He's finished now. He's uh, now in sales in Ottawa, and he's actually trying to be a ref. He's been to the NHL Combine. So that's an interesting combination, being an old goalie to a ref. We have quite a few in the NHL, by the way, but uh, he would love to do that, but we'll see. But in the meantime, he's in, uh, he's enjoying his new life. He, he quit on his own, which I was thrilled about. Uh, he had had enough of going around getting, you know, traded all over the East Coast League and the minors and not making a lot of money doing it. He was 27, I guess, and said, that's enough. Thankfully, because I was hoping that would happen, knowing that uh, it probably wasn't going to be his lot in life. But uh, I didn't say a word as a father. I stayed out of the way. I didn't really. I taught him early because nobody else could for a little while. Tried to get out of his way and just uh, let it happen. And for all parents that are hockey parents, the best possible advice I can ever give you is just let them do what they want to do as kids and stay the heck out of the way. And uh, yep. just drive them to the rink, drop them off, and don't say anything. They ask you a question, <laughs> fine. And uh, I was fortunate enough that uh, I had that relationship with Char. Um, and, you know, they find their way on their own. If they're going to end up playing at an elite level, they do it anyway. And uh, I'd love to see them play all different kinds of sports year-round as well. I don't like this year-round hockey thing. I don't believe in it. I would love to see uh, parents get back to putting them in baseball or soccer or golf or whatever it is in the summer and getting them away from the game also. I think it's too much right now, and we're burning kids out. And you know what? Hardly anybody makes it. Let's be honest here. I mean, start looking at the statistics, and you'll find out very quickly. Although St. Louis has been pretty lucky uh, sending a few out with with a great program. It's interesting about the minor hockey program in St. Louis. They were able to start from scratch, and they actually had some pros that were able to put input into the program. You can't do that in Canada because everybody's an expert. In fact, right. they, don't listen, they don't listen to us as much, which that's okay, but sometimes it was, it's nice to see that the, uh, the way the, the ex-players contributed in St. Louis and the success that a lot of players have had coming out of that program. It's, it's quite remarkable coming from – a time when I remember the old screen at, I think, the, what the heck was that practice rink called? But it was a real beauty. One of the only rinks in town that uh, we used to get dressed at the old St. Louis Arena and then be fully dressed, go to the practice rink and then drive back in our cars. But there was a little bar on the way on the way home that we'd stop and put beers in the car because it was just down the street from the St. Louis Arena before we went back and showered at the rink. You're I, talking I about Brentwood Ice Rink Brentwood and, uh, Ice o- rink. and yeah. Obi Clark's? I know Obi Clark's right by the rink. There you go. You're all over it. Yep. <laughs> Any that's hockey it. players know those stories from those Blues yeah. days because there you yeah, go. That's that's what it was. Yeah, oh, we had man. a quick guy run in and get us a couple of beer, and then we'd have a quick beer down the street, and then we'd go back and shower. Of course, we were all so somebody'd go in that bar with their full equipment on and running shoes. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that now on a social media video. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you very much for that. Yeah, probably make it now anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Blues alumni has been fantastic here in St. Louis. We we praise them all the time on this show for uh, the programs that they've added. And, and again, the hockey parents like you, um, you know, 
understanding and believing in their children. But I, I, I do have to ask with Charlie uh, wanting to be an NHL ref, possibly, what is that going to be like when, when he makes a bad call and you're calling the huh. game? Well, he's got a long way to go. He's got a long way to go before he gets there. I mean, he's just starting out, and uh, you know, may get some more important games this year. We'll see. But uh, you know, this—I don't think the uh, this uh, COVID has helped matters much either. So we'll nope. see how it all we'll see how it all goes. But uh, I, I'm not even going there yet. He's got a long way to go. But something that he would like to do. So we'll we'll see. And uh, you know, by then maybe I'll be gone the time he makes it. Who knows? So, yeah, that's true. I'll just chirp him. What kind of call was that anyway? I mean, <laughs> put a, put a, put an earpiece in his ear. So that way, whenever he makes a bad call, you can just oh, yell at him. I'm sure it'll be burning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you about uh, real quick, one last question for you. The, uh, the upcoming NHL tournament, you as a media guy working, um, you know, with Maple Leafs games and Maple Leafs obviously being involved and, Hockey Night in Canada probably still being a thing um, during the tournament. Um, what uh, what have they told you? Like, what's your job going to be like? What's going to be different for you? Or do you even know that yet? My job is going to be terrific because I'm going to be at the lake uh, on my dock having a few beers, maybe going over to the other cabin and watching the odd game. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, two crews being used. Uh, the, I, well, you know what? I don't even know if this is official yet, so I better be quiet here. But anyway, I won't be—I won't be working. I know that, and uh, I do know what's interesting, though, is that uh, you know the producer and directors. I think they have to be as part of the bubble too, so they're going to be away from their house until October, uh, spot okay. in the bubble, which will be pretty challenging. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we're not there yet. I hope they make it. Uh, they've got a long couple of weeks here to see if players don't get ill. I hope they don't. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some challenges moving forward. It's not easy right now. I, I commend the NHL for trying, and uh, we'll see how, it, fingers crossed, it works out, and it's it's great for the fans and the players. But uh, they got uh, they got some work cut out for them, I think, in this thing. This is a terrible disease. It's a horrible situation across the world right now, and uh, most importantly for all of us, I'm sure, is well, I'm not sure, I know, is to keep healthy, and that goes for the players and all involved also. Yep, I'm with you on that. Uh, so this has been Greg Millen, announcer for Hockey Night in Canada, color commentator for Maple Leafs Broadcast and Sportsnet Ontario, and, of course, a former St. Louis Blue and NHL goaltender. Uh, Greg, thank you very much for joining the show. Before we close up here, I want to give you enough time to, uh, obviously, people can hear you on Hockey Night in Canada as well as Sportsnet Ontario. But uh, if you uh, want to promote any social media or um, any other work you may be doing, uh, please let our listeners know how they can find you. Uh, you know, what? I, I, I don't really need to do that. I do teach leadership now, and I do some consulting work. I've worked with the National Hockey League at uh, millonleadership.com. So there's my little promotion. It's all about character development. So any corporate folks out there that are interested, uh, certainly uh, I, it's a passion of mine that I'm doing a, some extensive work in now. But uh, other than that, uh, I'd really like to close by just, again, as I always do, thank the St. Louis fans and the city for giving me uh, probably my best time of my life in, in hockey. There's no question about that, and I always cherish that and uh, thank uh, everybody involved, all my friends, family, and certainly the fans of St. Louis for that. And uh, other than that, uh, stay safe, folks. It's pretty serious right now, and if you can grab a mask, I would highly recommend it. Ah, that's that's very true. I think a lot of people uh, would definitely like to hear that from somebody uh, that they respect in the uh, the NHL media because 
Uh, a lot of people need to hear that, unfortunately. Um, but uh, again, yeah, you know what? You have been uh, enshrined in, in St. Louis history because of your uh, you being on that 1986 team, even with the Blues winning last year. That is still a team that uh, is talked about almost daily here in St. Louis, and especially on this show. So um, don't worry. You will never be forgotten, Greg Millen, in St. Louis. We all love you. <laughs> well, I feel the same way. That's very kind of you. And uh, congrats, too, to last year's team. We were all loving it, believe me. Any former St. Louis Blues, no matter where you were, uh, were pretty excited and particularly excited the way the city was uh, watching uh, all the uh, all the activity afterwards. That was spectacular to watch and uh, thrilling for all of us. I'm sure people who listen to you often, being Maple Leafs fans, are very happy to see the Blues beat the Boston Bruins. Uh, I would assume that that would be a high on their list for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Greg, remember, thank I, you. I'm not a fan, so I just uh, I just call games. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure our Leaf Nation would have liked that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we heard from a couple of Maple Leafs fans that tuned into our couple of our shows, and they said, thank you for beating Boston. <laughs> I was like, hey, we were happy yeah. to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you were. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, Greg, thank you very much for joining the show. Again, everybody, that is Greg Millen, and you can hear him on Hockey Night in Canada as well as Maple Leafs broadcasts on Sportsnet Ontario. Thank you very much, Greg. Appreciate it. My, my pleasure. That was fun. And we are continuing on with the Let's Go Blues Radio Past to the Future. We're in our future segment now. And I'm again joined by, as I've said before, best friend of the show, Greg Boyson. Probably been on as much as anybody else has ever been on. Uh, credential AHL writer with the Chicago Wolves and the Rockford Ice Hogs. Joining me to talk today about defenseman Jake Wallman. Uh, Greg, thank you very much for coming back on the show. I, I appreciate it. The ratings must be good as I've gone in the past few weeks from former colleague at Hockey Riders to best friend of the show. So uh, hopefully those extra clicks are, are helping. I, uh, I I tell you what, the other co-hosts on the show, whenever they mention, um, you know, oh, yeah, Brandon Bullig or Jeremy Rutherford, and I'm always like, you have to say friend of the show before you say their name because they've been on the show before. <laughs> So with you, I'm going to call you best friend of the show because this is like your, what, uh, 27th appearance on the show? Something like that. It only feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to take that. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk Jake Wallman today, again, with the San Antonio Rampage last year. Going to be moving on probably to the Blues AHL affiliate uh, in Springfield in 2020. Uh, he is 24, a Toronto native, six foot one, 201 pounds. He's a third round pick in 2014, 82nd overall. He was a guy that when he was drafted, and even to this day, I think Blues fans are interested in his skill set and want to know what he brings to the table. And I think a lot of management keep waiting to, to, to have him come up and be a full-time player at some point. Uh, now, he has had some injury problems. He had shoulder surgery that uh, kept him out from playing in the 2016 World Juniors. Uh, he has played in one game for the Blues. Uh, that was just this past season. He was a plus one in that game. Um, and, again, he's played for the Rampage for two seasons. Decent numbers last year, 57 games played, eight goals, 19 assists for 27 points and 32 penalty minutes. Um, I want to ask you, Greg, first of all, with, with Jake Wallman, um, we've heard that he's kind of a heavier guy, a guy that, uh, plays a heavy game. He's got a good offensive firepower and a decent defenseman. What is his greatest strength on the ice? Um, well, 
he he's a, an elite level skater. Um, he's very good on his feet. He's very noticeable on the ice. Like when he gets that puck and and he's moving it, you know, out of his own zone and through the neutral zone, you 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 you, you take notice. Um, he definitely has um, very good speed, very easy skater. Um, but he he also will will play a physical game too. He's he's an offensive minded uh, defenseman, but um, he will finish his checks. He will go into the corners. Uh, he's a little bit uh, bigger than some of the other prospects, you know. Um, so his skating ability is definitely um, NHL quality and and is probably one of the reasons he was drafted in the first place and was looked to be uh one of their top prospects despite getting passed up by a few guys along the way since then yeah i wanted to ask you about that exact uh, that exact thing getting forgotten or passed up because again he was a guy that when he joined the ahl i think blues fans expected to see him pretty quickly up here with the organization, at least uh, in long spurts before going back down. Um, but, uh, you know, now with, and I'd say especially after the Blues won the Stanley Cup uh, that summer, uh, with Carl Gunnarsson being a free agent and then uh, just some uncertainty uh, and th- through the rest of the lineup, uh, Alex Petrangelo, now a, well, not now, but soon to be a free agent, uh, people thought, okay, we're going to start seeing the McCullas, we're going to start seeing the Wallmans. And uh, we just haven't seen that yet. So you think there's some uncertainty with the Blues organization with his skill set? Um, I, I don't think so. I think it's more of the fact of the situation that was going on in the NHL, you know, at the NHL level. You had a Stanley Cup winning team with veteran defensemen um, to where it's not – that's not an easy situation to put a young guy to get an extended period of look. Um because technically, you know, they really didn't need him to come up and be a contributor the last two seasons, um, which is fine. You know, the, he, he's you got to remember he's he he converted from a forward to a defenseman in his draft year, which is almost unheard of, and he still mm-hmm. got picked pretty high, and he's still so he's still learning the position. I mean, I know that's kind of strange to say for for an AHL defenseman, a veteran defenseman at this point, but. Um, so I think more time at the AHL level these past two years have served him well. Um, because as I said, they really didn't need a whole lot of them at the NHL level the last two years. Now I had last season, you know, that, that huge turnaround after the coaching change and, and January, we, you know, we all know how that happened. Had, Had that turnaround not happened and they had stayed, you know, at the bottom of, of the division, you may have seen more of them in February and March of last season to get a look. But, you know, things were rolling so well, that wasn't exactly the position you, you put a young defenseman in um, because he could end up doing more harm than good, not only to the team, but, you know, to his progression as well. You mentioned his uh, transition from forward to D, and he was asked about that, and he said he basically is uh, modeling himself after Drew Doughty and Duncan Keith. Can you see that in his game? Um, Obviously not at that nah, level. <laughs> that's, I mean, from the skating aspect and the power play play, you know, yeah, okay, I could see a little bit of that. From his overall game, I mean, if that's who he wants to be, Man, that you picked a really good pair to to, to strive yourself <laughs> against. 
whether he gets there or not, uh, that's, that's a whole nother story. But, um, I could see that, yeah, you could definitely see that those are two guys he, he, um, you know, models himself after in his game. Obviously he's not to that, you know, those are two hall of famers, uh, right there. You know, he's not at that level, not saying he won't ever get there, but not many people get to the level that those two guys get. But, you know, if that's what he's striving for, then, you know, he's on the right track. Um, so obviously we could go to the extreme here and say Ottawa or Detroit, but let's kind of stick in your neck of the woods there, Chicago, kind of a mid-level team right now in the NHL. Let's say Jake Wallman is a Chicago Blackhawk within the Blackhawks organization. Do you think he's on the NHL roster? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. Because he, you know, the defense here is, is atrocious. I mean, I would, I would take Jake Wallman over – Eric Gustafson or Slater Cuckoo or any of these boneheads, they they, they <laughs> pass off as defensemen here in Chicago. So, yeah, if he's on Chicago, if he's on 20 of the 31 NHL teams, he's probably at the very least a, a, a third-pairing NHL defenseman. Oh, okay. So he's basically, like you said, just kind of being – held back because of the veterans on this roster. And I'm sure the Marco Scandella signing didn't help things with his future with the team. So possibility we could see him in a trade in the future. We'll see. But uh, as you said on the show before, kind of uh, uh, prospects are are always a good trade chip if uh, you can move them for somebody good to help your team now. Um, But uh, I wanted to ask you about his offensive Firepower, I guess. Um, a lot has been made about his skating. Like you said, he's a good hitter. Um, I've heard a lot about his shot, too. Does he have a pretty accurate and hard shot, uh, considering he is a first power play guy? Yeah, he's got a he's got an NHL quality shot. I mean, he he's he he's up on the power play. Um, you know, he uh, I think he played a more time on the second power play unit as the season progressed this year because Derek Pouliot was so good with the first unit so that they were really good one, two punch Um, while the rampage uh, struggled to score goals at five on five, they had a pretty good power play. And a lot of that got funneled through both Wallman and Pouliot during the season. Um, Yeah. I mean, he had eight goals uh, this past season. So from a defenseman in, in, you know, two thirds of a season, that's, that's pretty good. He's got, he's got a good shot. I think, um, you know, something that will probably help him get to the NHL with the Blues or with anybody else is the fact that he's a lefty. Um, you know, that, that usually guys, teams tend to look for those left-handed shots at the back end a bit more. They're a little rarer. Um, and, I, and I think the perfect comp uh, is a guy that you guys are very familiar with. He's essentially uh, plays the same type of game as like a Vince Dunn. So if you guys want two Vince Dunns in your lineup, then he'll he'll be there. I was, I was going to say that's uh, that's a comparable I've seen before as well. And uh, why I've I think I've kind of said this on the show even that uh, I could see the Blues trading Dunn to bring Wallman up because he will be cheaper. So again, that's just speculation. That's uh, no inside information there, folks. I know you're looking for that, but um, that's kind of my thought too. So getting it from a guy who's seen him play a ton. I think that uh, that holds a little more weight now, man. I I should just you know have my own podcast or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, I do. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could do a lot worse at the NHL level if your three left-handed defensemen are are Dunn, Scandella, and Wallman. That's that's 
you know, that's solid. You're, you're, you'll win more games than you lose if those are your three lefties. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Well, uh, Greg, again, thank you very much for joining the show. Um, we really appreciate your insight in telling us about a lot of these, well, I guess, ex-Rampage players. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners, in case uh, they have forgotten, where they can find you on social media and how they can find your work online. Yep, Just head over, follow me on Twitter, uh, just at Greg Boyson, B-O-Y-S-E-N. Um, I'm very active over there, not only about hockey, but you know, you'll get a lot of other random thoughts you may or may not agree with during the course of a day. Uh, but you also get all my links, uh, to my work over at the hockeywriters.com. Um, you know, even though there hasn't been much to talk about these last few weeks, we still got a really good group of writers over there pumping out some, some good content. So, uh, any, any clicks over there is much appreciated. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate you joining the show again. All right, no problem. Well, a big thanks goes out to both Gregs, Greg Millen and Greg Boyson. Uh, as we close up shop here, I want to mention uh, the letsgoblues.com shop is where you can find your shirts and stickers. Please subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at letsgoblues.com slash radio, or as I said earlier, letsgobluesradio.com. That also works. Uh, if you are on Apple, uh, that five-star rating is very much appreciated. If you could uh, drop that for us and leave a review, let us know what you think of the show. That only helps people find us and helps improve the show. Uh, Twitter handles that uh, are relevant to the show. The show Twitter is at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. Let's also not forget that uh, Let's Go Blues Radio is also on Instagram. We are also on Facebook. Uh, I'm sure we're in other places, but uh, as well as, as YouTube. And, and again, whenever we have our live shows, we uh, dual live stream them on YouTube and Facebook. So whatever your favorite platform is for that kind of thing, make sure you subscribe to us. That way you get a notification when we go live. Uh, and that might be next week. Uh, not sure exactly if we're going to do a live show but I will say, Steve Forney, he's a uh, the PA announcer for the Springfield Thunderbirds, the new AHL team uh, affiliated with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he is going to join me next week. I'm thinking we're going to do a live show with that, probably Tuesday night. But uh, that, uh, that I believe that'll be the 22nd of September. So uh, again, if you are um, somebody who likes tuning in live and wants to interact with us and, and send in questions or just talk to the other fans that listen to the show. Um, we encourage that. Uh, so make sure you uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and or Facebook. And that way you can be notified uh, whenever we go live. So again, next week, big episode. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to this one. Steve Forney, PA announcer for the Springfield Thunderburns, joins me and we talk about the, uh, the new Blues affiliate. Well, again, I want to thank Greg Millen, and again, thanks to Greg Boyson, who we've had on a lot, and uh, this was his final appearance on the show, at least for past and future. I'm sure we'll have him on again in the future, as he's a big Blackhawks guy, too, so good guy to discuss uh, future games with, with uh, one of the Blues' biggest rivals. Well, that will conclude the episode on behalf of Bill Day and Kurt Price. I'm Jeff Ponder, and let's go Blues! Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. A look at sports.
I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. St. <laughs> Louis Blues. St. Louis Blues. Have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun. They're on their way to number one. Now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. The blues are on the ice tonight again. They're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friend.